is the Working Drummer Podcast. Working Drummer Podcast. Featuring ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta, and my guest today is Andrew Atkinson. Andrew has been based in New York for over a decade after spending his childhood and early career on the Miami scene. In Miami, he played everything from jazz to punk to timba and toured steadily with steel pan pioneer Othello Molino. But he viewed New York as the place where he could develop and explore his individual voice. Andrew has played with Gregory Porter and Oz Noy, has been a frequent sub on Hamilton and Ain't Too Proud, and is set to be the full-time drummer for a new Broadway musical currently in development. You can subscribe to Working Drummer Podcast on your platform of choice. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We would also greatly appreciate your support on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash working drummer and a donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive content from our former guests. Think of this as professional development for drummers, all useful and actionable lessons for the working pro. We're populating new content regularly, and as little as $1 a month gets you access to all of it. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can also make a one-time donation through PayPal. There are links for both on our homepage at workingdrummer.net. Let's get to it. Here's my convo with Andrew Atkinson. I've probably recorded in this room maybe mm-hmm. 70 tracks for people so far. Yeah. You know, since March, which is not bad. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So uh, I'm grateful. I can't, I can't complain. So uh, various things too, all sorts of random stuff. Right. Right. And was that a, a big part of your time or a big part of your income before COVID hit? Or have you, like everyone else, just sort of been adapting yeah. and... Adapting. Yeah. It's a survival, baby. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's good for us, man. I think, you know, this this was this was where it was headed anyway. Uh, and, you know, COVID really accelerated the process. But just the ability to uh, at least track and at least get some good raw sounds uh, on your own at home, I think, is... is sure you know, soon to be a uh, requisite, soon to be essential if it, if it isn't already. Sure. Now, when I was in Florida, I was getting into this already. See, there's a group of people down in Florida that have been doing this since before everyone else. So it was a little bit more common down there. So I had all the mics and everything. And it was like, you know, if you move up here, you spend a lot of money to get here, as you know, relocating how that can be. So uh, you know, I just took a few steps back and said, when the opportunity comes, I'll, I'll do this again. But there's a guy down in Miami. His name is Lee Levin. This guy's on so many hit records, mm-hmm. and he's never stepped in the studio in his life, all <laughs> in his living room. Wow. And and luckily, he lived in Hollywood, Florida, and he didn't live far from me. And I was friends with his circle of guys. So I used to pick his brain and, uh, and some other guys. So in essence, it's kind of like getting back to that. 
although things are a lot cheaper and easier now. Right. It's so much more accessible. Um, and mm-hmm. this is, this is kind of what I was waiting for. Like it's been in the back of my mind for years to get this going. And you know, the, the, the price points of certain things came down enough and, uh, you know, the, the usability of logic <laughs> came, came down to my level enough, um, where I could kind of step <laughs> into some stuff. Um, so you you mentioned Miami. Like how how long ago was it that you relocated from Miami to New York? I think it was late '08 or '09. I can't around that that time. So mm-hmm. about eleven years or and twelve years. So and you went to school in Miami, correct? I mean, you grew up around there, but you you got your degree from University of Miami. No, I didn't go to college. I went to I went for two semesters, and then I realized this was not for me, and I I stopped. But my drum teacher, since I was just getting started in music, which I was a late bloomer, I started around the age of 13, um, uh, was a guy named Steve Rucker, who he's still at UM. Right. So he always says to all the people there that I'm honorary UM. Because I, my high school was less than a mile from UM. I was at UM every day, mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah, I was playing over there. I was doing forums with the faculty. I was even, when I got older, I was even giving some drummers lessons. So I was basically, you know, I kind of went through the program without going through the program. Right. And getting the debt from the program. <laughs> right. You you kind of, you audited everything from <laughs> from the time yes. you were 13 or something. Um, sure. So what was, what was your, uh, well, before I get to your early career in Miami, I, I want to make sure that I, I get to this. You were raised in South Florida, but born in Jamaica. Like you spent your early childhood in Jamaica. Oh, it's confusing, but uh, my mom used me to become an American citizen. A very <laughs> practice that a lot of Caribbean people did when they wanted to get out of a bad situation. When it was time to pop, you fly on vacation. Uh-oh, so she had me in Miami and flew back to Jamaica. I didn't know this until I was older. Oh, wow. So actually, I, I have access to dual citizenship. Oh, nice. But I was born in, I was born in America. Okay, cool. And and spent like the f- first few years of your childhood in Jamaica and then kind of back and forth for a while. Chaos. It was yeah, <laughs> six months. Six months. Does this make any sense for this cal- school calendar year? Six months in Miami, six months in Jamaica every year. Oof, that makes no sense. That must yeah. have been tough. So, I mean, what do you yeah. remember about um, – you know, your, your early life, uh, in Jamaica specifically and, and sort of how, uh, you know, your, your early musical experiences there and how that, that heritage has ended up shaping you as a musician. Well, Jamaicans for some reason loved country music. I used to always get <laughs> my mom. Why are you playing this country? Is that crap? true? They like, like yeah. country, like Nashville. Oh yeah. I had cowboy <laughs> boots. I had spurs, you know, we were, you know, right, right north. We we're like farmers. So it was like, wow. uh, you know, she was listening to all that. But also, you know, my dad saw Bob Marley perform. He told me like 25 times. He's right. Live. Right. So, uh, you know, and there's more guys than just Bob Marley. There's a whole list of, of other amazing Jamaican artists. So without knowing, I wasn't a musician yet, but uh, the music was going in your ears. Is that You hear it everywhere. You hear the dance hall. You hear the Scott. You hear you hear the reggae, mm-hmm. you hear the country music, yeah. you know. You hear the you hear the doo wop. Doo wop music is very influenced, uh, you know, influenced Jamaica a lot. Yeah. You know, the Whalers were trying to be a doo wop band before they switched over. <laughs> right, right. 
So um, that was uh, uh, interesting. And another aspect, which is funny, but it, a lot of people have this experience is playing video games. There was a lot of great music in video games back in the day. <laughs> and that really, that really molded the kind of music I listened to also. Interesting. How, how so? Man, all, uh, who, when you when we were kids, we're singing Mario Brothers all the time. Sonic the Hedgehog, the music in Sonic was incredible. Yeah, and the thing is, like you, you're you're digesting this stuff as a kid, but later on in your life, you know, you have this certain uh, ability to hear harmony mm-hmm. very quickly. It's not that you're you're like the savant or talented, but you've just been practicing that you didn't know you were practicing when you're playing Mario. For too many hours in the day, right? Or or Sonic for too many hours in the day, and singing it back. Yep. And like learning how to sing in key and do all that stuff. So that's sort of how I um. Uh, it's funny. I just watched a Sonic movie two days ago. Oh really? How um, was it? Uh, if you're if you're into that stuff, it was very nostalgic. So they did a good job <laughs> cool. fixing all the problems that was there before. Say what? If you know what I'm, if you know what I'm talking about, they messed up drawing Sonic, and then all the fans got mad. So they spent another fifteen, twenty million dollars rewriting him. Oh wow! Like four months before they opened the movie, and they fixed it. So man, but yeah, it was enjoyable. Good, cool. Um, so you, you you said you got started late in music, age thirteen. Um, what was it that uh, that drew you to it at at that age? <laughs> well. Before that, I was at uh, a school uh, named Thomas Jefferson Middle, and I was in advanced art. I could do, I could sketch you. I was sketching Sconic a lot. <laughs> I was obsessed with it. So right. I could, I could like, you know, with a number two pencil, sketch somebody right in front of them, 10 minutes, you know. I was do good with pastels. I was a very good artist. So my mom wanted me, you know, the typical parent thing, they, they, they narrowed down your career at that age to the three, you know, you want to be a lawyer, you want to be a doctor, you know, <laughs> no other options. Right, right. So if, I, if I'm into art, I can't be like a fine artist. I have to be an architect. Mm. So she, she, I got accepted to a school uh, that was brand new at the time, uh, Turner Tech uh, in North Miami. And they would give you your college credits. Um while you went to high school there. So by the time you graduated, you'd, you'd have a bachelor's mm-hmm. in whatever field. So mine was architecture. I walked into this school and I don't know what it was. Maybe it was like, what I remember was it was just dirty on the floor. Everybody was so big. You know, you're a little, you're a little kid. I'm, I, I grew slow, you know, everything mm-hmm. about it. So Whatever the reason was, something told me to run. So I, I stopped walking and, and my mom was pulling me. She's like, what? I was like, no. And she says, no, what? I said, no, I'm not going to school here. <laughs> she said, boy, listen, you're going to go to this school. And I'm sending you back to Jamaica. So I I said to her, listen, when you're dead and gone, how old, are, how, what is this, 12 going to 13? Yeah. Because my birthday was just on the 14th, uh-huh. just yesterday. So, you know, I'm still 12 going to 13 at the time. And I said, listen, when you're dead and gone, I'm going to be the one that has to live with myself. So I am in control of where I choose what I want to do. And I can show you by failing every class in here on purpose. She you said you said this to her? Said, yes, <laughs> I said this to her. And, and she looked at me and she just said, let's go. 
So they put me back in my original middle school, which, by the way, was a very dangerous school. Hmm. It was re- one of the worst schools. But the IB program in the school was one of the best. It's usually that way in, 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 the, in the ghettos of uh, a lot of places in America. But so when they put me back in school, they messed up my schedule and they put me in percussion 101. Hmm. I walked in this class and I'm like, what is this class? Where, where's the art supplies? Did right. they, why did they move us? So this guy walks in, Melton Mustafa. His father's a legendary trumpet player, played with Count Basie and Duke Ellington band at the same time. I don't know anything about music. And, and then uh, I realized I'm in a percussion class. And so I, I remember I asked him when I read the thing, I said, what's a mallet? And he says, boy, are you stupid? Can you can't read? It's mallets. And, uh, and from that moment, uh, I went to the office and I said, I want to transfer out of the class. I said, well, you can't transfer out. You have to do at least the first two weeks. Then we'll be able to transfer you out. That's all I needed because once I bought my sticks, I worked on my double stroke rolls. I went back to the class on that, that Friday. I bought my sticks. I did what he, that Thursday I bought sticks. Friday he told us what we need to practice. When I came back, it was 67 of us in this class and wow. we had no. We had no materials. So what, what we did to be able to play was we had a chair in front of us. That was our drum. So you sat in your chair, you turn it in a little 45-degree angle, so it sits in between your legs, and you play on it. And whatever rebounds on that chair or not, that's <laughs> that's what we have. In a way, it kind of was helpful because it wasn't, you know, you had to learn how to rely on your fingers. Yeah. So what would happen is you challenge the child in front of you, and if you win, you go you pass them and you keep going until you lose to someone. So everybody tried to play the double stroke curl so fast that they fumbled. I played, you know, not super fast, but I followed the rules. He wanted it to be even and go as fast as I can go and slow down. Maybe I went from that, 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 that is exactly what I asked for. You are the section leader. You're number one, go to the front. And so all of a sudden I'm like, I'm, I'm number one or something. Right. Oh, I can't transfer out of this class. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, and then the passion came. And then I just fell in love with playing drums. I learned timpani. I played marimbas. I did, you know, all a bunch of stuff in that year that I'll never forget. Yeah. Yeah. And so what was the turning point where you said, like, I, I can do this for a living. Like, this is what I want to do with my life. Because it sounds like it sort of, it landed on you and then you you happened to be good at one thing and that kind of, you were like, like you said, there's no way I'm dropping this class. I'm good at this. So when did it go from I'm good at this to this is what I want to do? Well, this is where the Jamaican roots or my mom and dad's stubbornness in a sense uh, played a good part in my, you know, me getting to where I am today. Uh, basically, I decided that I was going to do this. I love this. I'm terrible at this, <laughs> and I don't care what it takes. Everybody, literally everybody in my life was against me doing this. Hmm. I fought literally tooth and nail, literally everyone except Steve Rucker, who's the guy at University of Miami, who we still talk at literally every day because we're both huge Miami Heat and Dolphin fans. Uh, <laughs> Sorry about the and, Heat, and buddy. No, oh, that's okay. I'm proud of them, man. <laughs> they, they, did, they, they, uh, they did what everyone didn't think they would do. Right, so I'm right. proud of them. So um, I decided to do it. And um, I said, I'm going to learn 
how to be the best drummer I can be. Man, I couldn't. I hadn't played drum set yet at this point. I was just a classical percussionist mm-hmm. at this at this point. So there was another kid at the school um, who was in the same grade as me. His name was Obed. Uh, that wasn't, you know, Obed Calver. So Mustafa, after the first year said, uh, or halfway through the first year said, I want you to teach him how to play drums. And so Obed was... A prodigy. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Yeah. But he, he plays with everyone. Mm-hmm. So I've known him since I was uh, 10 years old. We've been friends. Wow. So, uh, and we used to play bat. We were all in those those classes together. I was just in art class. He was in band. Now we're crossing the same, the same world. Uh, I'm just a little late. He's been doing this since he was three. So he played bass, baritone, drums, all very well, mm-hmm. by the way. He was playing gigs. <laughs> <laughs> this don't guy you, was playing gigs. Don't you hate those guys? I'm telling you, man. So he tried to show me, you know, and for an hour, you know, he's a child, I'm a child. He just was livid at me. He's like, come on, man. Can't you get this? It's easy. I was like, I'm trying, man. This is, you know, I was that terrible. And he tried to show me, you know, the, the classic, you open the hi-hat too far, and you're like, right, 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 right. Couldn't get it. It took me literally seven days of doing those two things until I could do it. Which I've seen. I've, yeah, I'm sure you taught a lot of students. I've seen them pick pick it up in 15 minutes. Right. You know. Right. So I've also seen it take seven weeks. <laughs> that's true too. You've seen the other extreme, huh? Yeah. 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 So I, uh, you know, I was uh, I was somewhere in the middle with that. So I just had to work hard, and that was basically my path the whole way. I just. I got the technique stuff down. I could play, I could play paradiddles like a monster. I could play flam accents, double stroke curls, too. But I could not figure out how to do this. Excuse me, this coordination thing. It was just uh, too difficult at the time. But the the stubbornness, the determination, and the passion. Um, I I was determined to be good at this. So I I I did it every day. I, I was just uh, going at it every day, consistent, ignoring the other kids who were making fun of me saying all kinds of things, saying, saying stuff. I've even had band directors tell me I would never succeed in music, hmm. you know, along the way. But I used it all as fuel, but not to use it and be angry at the world, but use it to motivate myself to 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 get better because right. they don't know what they're talking about. I'm in control, like I said to my mother at the time, I'm in control of my destiny. You can do anything you want if you have the right instruction and the right tools. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what music are you listening to? Like what music or musicians were inspiring to you uh, early on? So (laughs) funny thing is I remember the first time I heard jazz. Jazz didn't exist to me at this time. I was Mm -hmm. just listening to reggae, Peter Tosh, Bob Marley, and video games. So at this time, my college was very very limited, you know? And all the standard of excellence. You remember that book? All that stuff. Was, I was just getting into classical music. So uh, the first song I heard was Night in Tunisia. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. I want to learn how to play that song. So um, the first guy that I really fell in love with, and partially because you, I could hear the rudiments in the way he played, was mm-hmm. Max Roach. Yeah, of course. That's the first guy I was obsessed with. I learned everything he did note for note. I didn't sound like him, as good as him. But I learned everything I he could do, no for no. I got in his head. I tried to understand why he played what he played. And I just 
digested it like crazy. So that was what I was listening to. Uh, a lot of Clifford Brown, mm-hmm. a lot of Max Roach. Then I found Art Blake, and I was like, holy cow, this guy's a freight train. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was is, listening. This to- is how you put I was listening to some Blakey a few days ago. It had been a while since I listened to any and I was, I was cooking a bunch of food and I was like, shit, let's just, you know, went on Spotify, you know, found Blakey in the messengers, just playlist go. And man, like you, your word, uh, freight train is absolutely right. The dude was just a machine. It was just so spirited and so soulful and so powerful. Um, just like blew me away all over again. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that was what I, I took away from it. And his, his, his ride symbol, man, and his shuffle groove. Mm-hmm. I, I, I studied that as much as I could. Every nuance of it. I tried to understand why he, same deal. That's how I, w- I was in music. I always treated when I practice like the lab, I overanalyze everything. And then when I play, I forget about it mm-hmm. and just play whatever my, my mind says or my heart says to do. Mm-hmm. So uh, our Blakey, it was like that Philly Joe was another one. I did not even know these other guys existed yet. I didn't know any other worlds yet. This was it. Funny thing, though, because of the path that I took, I thought Elvin was terrible <laughs> at that time. I didn't understand him yet. Right. You know, I'm still a, I'm still a teenager. I'm still musically young. And, uh, and uh, another friend of mine uh, at the time, he also went to the same high school as me, uh, a year, uh, a couple years ahead, Ludwig Alfonso, uh, he plays with everyone. Um, he, um, he gave me a, a whole, um, album with, uh, Elvin, just a whole mixtape with Elvin. Yeah. And he's like, just learn this stuff. It'll be good for you. Then I, I, one day I was just listening to Equinox, like half asleep on the way to school. It's funny that it was in this situation. Then I was like, Oh, I get it. He's painting. Hmm. And I was like, Oh, this guy is incredible. Yeah. He's insane. And I was obsessed with him for a while. So that's kind of the early first phase, you know, of guys. Then, you know, you got your your Dave Weckles and your and your uh, uh, Dennis Chambers. And then then I heard Vinny. And then I was like, what the hell is this? This is insane. You know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like your mind kept getting blown. And you didn't know you can play drums in all these possible ways. Right. Like every, you know. And then I got into a lot of guys like John Bonham, like, you know, the, the – pop guys rock guys you know there's there's so much great drumming or great music in so many genres mm-hmm. and the thing that i i took from Vinny and i took from dennis that those guys love jazz also mm-hmm. they didn't like say oh i don't mess with that and in fact bottom was hanging a lot with elvin and elvin was trying to do a lot of bottom stuff mm-hmm he was like all right let me try some bigger drums let me try some rock i want to be a rock sound bottom's like man i want to sh- learn how to do these triplets the way you play it right yeah yeah you can, can kind of hear the influence from both of them rubbing off of each other yeah in a sense i, I am kind of projecting back now and that that totally makes sense start like gigging on the Miami scene 
what what is the Miami scene on at, at that point? Um, what is there to do? It's you know obviously a ton of uh, Latin music, a ton of Afro-Cuban music around. Um, but what did you what did you get into? Uh, I see living. Well, I lived in in, in a, a county above Miami, north of Miami, uh, called Broward County. But we used to live in North Miami. But when I was going to high school, I took three buses and a train to school to go to South Miami, you know, which was my way of trying to get out of the ghetto, you know. Uh, and also, luckily, um, remember I said I didn't go to UM? Well, this school, South Miami, they had they had a program at the time called South Miami School of the Arts, where all the University of Miami teachers would teach us. So the classical director at, U- at UM for, for percussion, uh, Fred Winstrom, was my percussion teacher. The drum teacher, Steve Rucker, who's still at UM teaching drums, was my drum teacher. So basically, I sort of, like I said, honorary UM, I sort of had all those teachings. So naturally, when I graduated, I started driving around, and I had some friends, um, a good friend of mine, he plays bass with Pitbull, uh, Leo Brooks, um, and another friend, Richard Padrone, he's up here in New York with me, incredible. Uh, we still play a lot of gigs together. We had a trio together, and we would go to the UM, UM uh, at Tuesday nights. There was a place called Titanic, and they had a, a jam session there. And, and a lot of people would come through. When Winton was in town, you know, Roy Hargrove, Arturo Sandoval would come every week, a lot of great musicians. Uh, Ernesto Simpson, who was my next mentor after Steve Rucker, I would go every Tuesday. They, somebody told me some funny crap. I, I don't even, I have a good memory, but for some reason I must have erased this out of my memory. I, this bass player is like, man, I remember you used to come, you were 17 and you used to come with your, your remote control car. And I was like, what? <laughs> He's like, yeah, you would drag it up and down the sidewalk because you couldn't come in. I was like, I did that? I was like, man, wow, <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> but, but that that was the first kind of um, experience seeing all these musicians i was i didn't play for the first year i went every tuesday i was so intimidated i didn't play for the first year i just watched and learned and so i would go home and practice everything you know uh, i would hear and there was a lot of great guys um now before that i was heavy into marching band you know the drum corps and winter drum line stuff i did all that stuff right but the the polyrhythm thing you do it in drum line but you and your mark timing, and yes, it's coming in your muscle memory. You're playing five over four and doing all this crazy stuff. But then to see someone do it on the drum set or hear a horn player do it, and then finally sit in there and be like wrecked by a horn player, because a lot of the Cuban guys they 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 like kind of play a phrasing in a way that if you're not familiar, it can really mess you up. Mm-hmm. So then I was like, you know what? I got to get better with this, you know, phrasing stuff. So I learned every possible thing that I thought. You know, playing five over four, not so that I could do it, but so that I can understand it. So it's not foreign to my ears when they did it so that I can hold the fort. Of course, you start doing that and then you start hearing people like Vinny. And of course, now you're going to start being the instigator right. of things. Right. But uh, this stuff. And actually, the first time I went and sat in a bass player there, Alex Bertie, uh you know, th- this doesn't really happen anymore with the, the, the old like the old school street musicians kind of yelling at you and and trying to guide you in a loving way. I played and I dropped the beat 
And I stopped playing listen. And so he pulled me aside and he's like, he said, man, what the F are you doing, man? And I said, what do you mean? He says, you're right. I was like, what do you mean? I, I, I don't understand. He's like, no matter what you do, you're right. You're the drummer. <laughs> Basically, what he's trying to tell me is to play with confidence. Mm-hmm. Don't second guess myself. And as a 17-year-old, just graduated high school, that's a really good advice. It helped me you know, gain even more confidence to continue on that path of uh, exploring myself. So the Miami scene <clears throat> was a lot of that. I didn't even get into any fusion or any jazz. or, And then I would go, I was in a reggae rock band with my cousin. We were called Earth Citizens. <laughs> and uh, and then I was also in a punk band that got signed with No Limit Records, hmm. which, which was uh, an incredible run. Uh, uh, but basically, those are kind of three separate eras in my life. And then maybe t- 2003, the jam band scene in Miami. It was like this whole, I, I called it the Latin hipster, hip, hippies. Right. You know? There was a lot of cumbia, uh-huh. a lot of, a lot of, uh, it's like Calypso, you know, like, uh, like the Fela Kuti stuff, uh-huh. you know, a lot of that stuff, one chord jams. And there was a lot of fun to play and it helped you get like, learn how to be really funky and lock, lock in, and lay it down. I'm thinking also, of the band, two guitars. I'm thinking of the band Ozo Motley. Is that kind of the thing you're talking about or something? Different? Sure. And, uh, and another band uh, called Suenalo that was down in Miami. That okay. was very popular. I played um, I can send you some stuff. Yeah. Uh, after this. Nice. I'd love it. So, yes. Yeah, so those were all the, the things that I was doing at the early stages, which was kind of insane, to be quite honest, because uh, there were other things that happened in my life that derailed me where I was homeless for a year and a half, et cetera. And then hmm. I jumped back into the scene. Then I got in that punk band. So it was like not no music for a year and a half. And boom, I'm, I'm at the Warp Tour. I'm playing 20,000 to 80,000 people a day, hmm. like trying to get my like, drum chops back, but, right. you know, to be able to make the gig, not, you know, not play anything, just make the gig because I didn't have any drums. And then back in jazz, it's just a crazy circle. Wow. Wow. Um, so at like at a certain point, did you did did your time in Miami um, run its course? Did uh, did you set your sights higher? to new york like what what prompted that move well uh you know miami has a lot of incredible players but as you know we spoke uh before is you know if you're searching a certain thing let's say are you fine playing music and just living where you are playing in a wedding band and just playing music like that then where it doesn't matter where you live at the time it didn't matter do you are you dreaming of playing with Herbie, playing, you know, a pop gig, playing with in front of a huge audiences with original music? Then you have to go to these certain areas in America mm-hmm. that give you the highest percentage chance of doing this. So eventually, you know, what happens is I was trying to be that kind of drummer and everybody's telling you to stop doing that. Mm-hmm. They So it took me a while to understand, oh. They just want an Abersol kind of thing. They Everybody has an idea of each instrument, what it is. Right. Some people are more controlling. With certain, as you know, as drummers, we hear all sorts of opinions, and that's why sometimes drummers get a little crazy on the gigs, and everyone's like, hey, calm down, man. But, <laughs> uh, but uh, I realized, you know, Miami has been very helpful to me. It's helped me bring, build my technique. You know, I played with Othello 
which was an incredible experience. I had my own band. I curated my own band there, which was an incredible experience. Right. So, so let me stop you there. You, you mentioned this is uh, Othello Molino, correct? Sure. And for those who don't know, uh, he's he's a steel pan player, and I, I know him best. Uh, you know, I know he's had a long career, but I know him best for the few years and the few projects he did with Jaco Pastorius. Um, he he made appearances on Jaco's debut record and on Word of Mouth, I believe. And then when when Jaco died, he was sort of conceiving or working on a project with Othello that was going to be like an all steel pan record called Holiday for Pans. Did I get most of that mostly right? You got it. All, you got it all right. <laughs> cool. And and Othello at that at that time there was that didn't exist steel pan and jazz. So Othello kind of opened the door for a whole mm-hmm. industry. Yeah. So, uh, I'm very grateful to be a part of that because as you're doing this gig, you're also running into the lineage of Jocko. Right. Right. You know, I played with Randy Brecker also, Randy and Othello. I've played with Manolo. Mm -hmm. Manolo told me so many uh, Zawinol stories. He's in New Jersey too. Uh, uh, We played at uh, Lincoln Center. Uh, We've done a bunch with a bunch of different people at different times. With Othello, which is a you know an incredible ex- experience, yeah, because there's a lot of history there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, like that was that was one of the sort of you know major uh, formative gigs you you played in Miami. But you were you you mentioned him kind of on the way to New York, and then I, I stopped you. So, <laughs> on to, on to right, New York. Right. Also, <laughs> also, I mean, I didn't do it. I only did it a couple times, but and I but I was always at Arturo Sandoval's house for at a period playing and hanging with him and he was trying to curate a new band with me and uh some other people who also both had incredible careers but uh you know i decided that i was i I wanted to go a different direction and move to new york Mm -hmm. but um i'm grateful for those experiences too you know but i've been in so many gigs where no one speaks english Hmm. and you know they're like oh yeah i'm a hero here we go yeah you know they're telling you the style as they're counting off right great thanks guys (laughs) man yeah i mean i've i've studied some some afro-cuban drumming i've studied you know some brazilian music um and i've i've never uh you know I've, i've never played in a salsa band i've never played in a brazilian band you know and even though i've you know studied these rhythms studied these styles and these music like being on stage in a band like that, like what you just described, I mean, it is just, you know, terrifying and overwhelming. <laughs> so, so there's, there's a, there's a guy named Gola who I played with a bunch. Uh, he played with Gonzalo. He played with Eldar and, um, bass player. He used to play in a timba band and timba is kind of like a funky Latin. Uh, it's like a fusion of a lot of styles that, uh, a Cuban music. And, uh, I used to go there because I played in this reggae rock band and down the street on South Beach and they would see me and they'd be like, oh, you know, they like to call you by your country. Like, oh, how much you know? Come play, you know? (laughs) And I was like, listen, I don't know where one is. They're like, don't worry, it's funk. You'll hear it. And I messed up. I must have messed up the the playing with them the first two months, but they didn't care. They were like, it's okay, you'll hear it. And then they're right. One day it just made sense. And I just locked in 
and they were like, there you, there it is. Right. And that's kind of how I learned. Uh, Cause that stuff you know, like you was, can't, you can't notate it. You can't write it down. You can't conceive yeah. of it in the way that most of us learn, you know, our rock beats or our jazz beats or whatever. It's a completely different swing. It's a completely different language. Um, and it's just, and it's, it's not written down. It's an oral tradition. Sure. It's, it's sure. It's everything, which is good for you because then you can use the sensitivities of learning how to, the, the language with other styles of music. Right. Right. You know, the books are good, but you need to hear the nuances of every, yeah. every other language. So yeah, that, that was a, a very helpful a period of my life. And Ernesto Simpson used to teach me that way too. Sometimes he, I would be a, I would say, like he used to play drums for Arturo Sandoval and he would just, Arturo wouldn't even know. He would just be like, Andrew, come play. Cause I'd be side of the stage. I'd just jump on the stage in the middle of a huge concert. I play, he'll, Arturo would turn around and just go, you know, nod. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, and then he, maybe he would get in my ear and he'd be like, yep. Yep. And so he's singing phrases in my ear Man. and I would play them back. And that's kind of how we talk. was your first sort of uh, year or two in, in New York like? Did you have a clear idea of what you wanted to do there or um, did you just kind of go there uh, with an open mind and, and empty pockets and, uh, <laughs> and see what you could do? Well, yeah, I saved up some money so I can, because I, I, my, my goal was to not ever, I've never had a day job, which is funny because we're in this pandemic and this is kind of there's a lot of people who've never had day jobs who are like, yeah, I'm um, getting a day job. Right. But um, so uh, I said, I need to save up a good amount of money so that I can have a window of time, at least a year where I just out of control, unrelentlessly go out to everything I can, no matter if I want to or not, and just, you know, meet people. That's the whole name of the game. I just need to, to raise the odds. I need to meet as many people as I can. Mm -hmm. Even if you're just tired and you don't feel like that, you're like, okay, one, two, three. Hey, man, how you doing? Yeah, you know? yeah. You know, so, you know, I just, I did it all the time. And me and this other guy, we did it together, a saxophonist that was in my band at the time. And uh, I didn't miss a day. 365 days in that first year, I went to jam sessions. Uh, I went to people's gigs. You know, how many times that, you know, very luckily, uh, um, I, as some of my friends made fun of me because I I got and became friends with a lot of door guys. Mm -hmm. So very quickly, I was able to get in a fr free in a lot of places. And let me tell you, as you know, <laughs> I'm saving a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that helped me stay aggressive and go and see a lot of men. Oh, I saw a lot of incredible music. You know, I've seen Tane play with his band a bunch of times with a lot of other people. I've seen a lot of other uh, pop fusion, different types of guys play. Oh, I'm friends with um, um, the old drummer for the Le Letterman. I'm drawing a blank here. Oh, uh, Anton? 
Anton's helped me a lot. I've gone to see him play on his show a bunch. Yeah. You know? So uh, I did that, and I didn't. I could not get a gig for the life of me, you know. As it should be with a lot of big cities, if you don't have a crazy connection or a, uh, your circle of friends are very established when you come, and and you're you know you're it's going to take you a while because people they're going to want to they need to hear you, and then you then you learn how it happens in New York, for instance. In New York, the jam sessions is not quite the best way for people to hear you play. I don't they think do it sessions. is in any city, man. Like, and sorry, I, I agree. I, yeah, go go on. I agree. I I agree with you hundred percent because it's not the best representation of everyone on stage, right? And uh, and so you, what happens is you do the jam sessions, you meet people, and then you say, "Hey, man, we should have a session sometime." But I started hearing everyone say that, so oh, let me try it again. Well, this, what is this session thing? Mm-hmm. You know, well, so in New York, it's very common. People will play two, three in a day. I go apartment to apartment and play. And that, what happens at the end of the session now is people really pay attention. And then they're like, at the end, it's so funny. They'll be like, ah, so Friday, uh, are you free for a gig? Right. So that didn't happen to me until like month 10 or month 12. And when you say, when you say a session, you're not talking about a recording session. This is like a little private jam session, a little workshop at someone's house. That's exactly right. We call it session here. Right, right. You know, and then and you and you work out you work out some original music. Sometimes you play standards. A lot of times it's original music, but uh, you know that's when people can really check you out because you know every maybe it's already some a band, and then you're the only new person. Right. You just want to see how you sound, but you don't know that. Right. So that's kind of how I got around, and uh, which is funny. There's only one jam session that I went to, and this place is closed, and it's uptown in Harlem that I went to that uh set me off uh, to a whole crazy path and that was because gregory porter was singing that jam session mm, yeah every tuesday night at this place called saint nick's pub a very famous place in harlem that unfortunately is not open anymore um i went to the first session and things were happened the way they happened and then they were like hey can you play next week and then i played every week there and i at this time gregory was just starting to blow up so we went from playing there to another place called smoke and that was sold out every time we played which mm-hmm. is a more kind of highbrow place and then next thing you know we're, we're touring so yes mainly sessions is really what helped me get around in in the city and then you know you have to do a good job on the gigs right of course yeah um so with gregory porter i uh when we talked i, I mentioned to you i got to play with him for like a week um, years ago when I lived in Kansas City. Um, and it was probably around the same time that you were doing like this jam session thing with him because he hadn't really blown up yet. Um, but I was I was blown away by him, man. He just immediately struck me as someone who has a huge talent and a huge spirit to match. Um, so talk about like the, the time you spent touring with him and... Um, you know, just the, the kind of musician he is and, and what he brought out of you as a drummer. Well, man, what an, and as you know, uh, you know, I guess these artists can be a mystery to people until you hear about them or you play with them. The thing about Gregory is he's so consistent to how he is on stage. He's an incredible person. He, he cares so much about his musicians. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been many instances where labels artists uh managers have tried to get rid of the band and he will never 
let that go, let them go. He has fought tooth and nail. He's even turned down big deals. He's like, well, I'll just do it on my own then. This is before he, he he blew up. And I remember a few times he would call he call me and he was just venting. He's like, I can't believe they want me to play with such a I don't know them. I don't know. That's what he would always say. Mm. I don't know them. They don't know what I want. So he's never really asked me to play a certain way. He just trusted or he would give you the energy that he wanted back. Right. So uh, we just kind of all three of us uh, at the time. Uh, that the band, we just understood that, you know, sometimes he wants it to be really, really sensitive and really, you know, but it's easy to tell with him because the song is very, that's the song. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it was like, I literally had to play like I was playing in a big band in that band. So, uh, and then on the road, it was great. You know, we had a good time. He, he, he likes to tease a lot. So we, we we're always joking around, you know, (laughs) but what a ride because we went from playing a tips gig Literally a tips gig to playing these big halls. And then, and then now, and now it was like all of a sudden we were just like anywhere we went, it was instantly sold out. It just happened in a blur. Yeah. Literally like within less than a year. Wow. And I mean, Gregory is one of those singers um, who it's like he, he can't help but feel the music. He almost can't help but sort of, you know, wear the emotions of the words on his sleeve. Um, and I love, I love playing for singers like that because if, if you're paying any attention at all, like you said, he makes it really obvious what he wants, um, what it, you know, it's about what he wants the music to feel like. It's not about what he wants you to play on the drums. Um, and I think that's where, like, we talk about relationships in music. We talk about trust, you know, Gregory was venting to you about that guy. Like he doesn't know what I want. Um, and I think for especially for a guy like him that's um that's the value that he places on a musician like you because he knows that you understand that connection you already have that connection as soon as you step on stage you're going to be on his same wavelength exactly exactly and then the passion he likes you know the passions there in every detail and so the depth of the music hits the people mm-hmm. the, the way he wants it to hit them. And that's the goal. That's what music is about. So, and that's what, it was such a joy. And, you know, I think I started playing with him in 2010. Yeah. And, you know, it was, it was such a joy to, to play with him and, and to see how he, he is now. I mean, there was a time before he's like too big now, but we stayed in touch, you know? Right. Uh, very much so as as he was going through the, the next level of the roller coaster ride. I like what you said about how how the music hits the people um, because I think especially when you're playing with a singer, especially with a jazz singer, um, what we do on the drums like has to has to fit inside the envelope, like the emotional bandwidth of what the singer is putting out there. And if you know, if we if we undershoot it, then that singer is going to seem like they're trying too hard. And if we overshoot it, we're just going to step on them. Um, so, you know, again, it's not about like there are a lot of options as to how to orchestrate it and how to, you know, how to drum. Um, but I think it's a really refined skill to be able to just sort of match the um, the emotional and energy wavelength of a, of a singer like that. So that, like you, like you said, everything coming off the stage, you know, hits the audience in the same way. Exactly. And I always teach 
my students or whatever I'm doing, any kind of clinics, you know, uh, I always, I always, I always express how much rhythm is disrespected in college, and I always express to the drummers how important it is to to understand how harmony and melody work. Pick an instrument you like. A lot of times, it's bass. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, for drummers, <laughs> right? You know, keys, bass. Just pick something that you can use as a tool so you can develop your ears, so that when you hear a major chord, you understand more. Like when you're in the lab, you understand what's the purpose of a major chord. How does that make someone feel, mm-hmm. you know, because now whenever I hear that, it's not just going to be, you know, the timbre. This song is major. I'm just going to play my part. Now I'm going to understand I need to learn how to make everybody happy from this instrument. Make everyone cry from this instrument. Yeah. Make everyone angry or confused. You know, you have to be a master of being able to manipulate the energies. And those those drummers that can do that, those are the ones the singers really like. One of the other major gigs that, that you've had since your time in New York is with uh, Oz Noy, um, who I would imagine is sort of like a, a very different gig than something like Gregory Porter, um, you know, both content-wise and energy-wise and all that. Um, but uh, – and he's, he's a musician. He's a guitarist who it seems – really uh loves playing with all kinds of different drummers especially um and the fact that you the fact that you've played with him puts you in company with uh you know weckle and keith carlock and uh i mean i I thought of a bunch of other ones the other day and i'm blanking now but like a ton of different drummers anton Anton, of course yeah 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 um so you know, when when you play with a guy who has played with that many different drummers and who loves playing with that many different drummers, you know, how do you how do you approach um, that? Is it about just trying to be as much yourself as possible? Uh, yes, uh, nothing else other than he he hears something that he likes from me, and that's what he's going to expect. That's the thing about New York; uh, people expect you, you know, mm-hmm. and that's why I came here. Yeah, people expect you. Even when you're just laying it down, they want to hear your feel. Right. You know, they want to. They, they that's why they called you. They don't want you to like you know emulate someone. I mean, there are the, this school of some people that do that, but overall, the New York City wasn't. That's not the energy of this place. The history of this place. Right. Right. So when I go in there, yes, I check out the stuff and I. I you know, understand the parts, but I just stay true to how I think it should sound. Sometimes I'll alter the groove. Actually, most of the times, <laughs> more to the way I think it would sound, and and he he enjoys it very much so. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as long as it's it's funky, as right. long as it's swinging, because I play in two different groups with him. Well, oh, I didn't realize groups. that. Okay. Yeah, he has a straight ahead group, and then he has the more the Osno experience kind of groups. Gotcha. And you've so played one with of them, both. I'm like, oh yes, yes. Mm-hmm. It's on two different, totally different ways of playing. You know, the, the very sensitive touch. He's really good at playing straight ahead. A lot of people don't know that. I did not and, know uh, that. I mean, I I know him as as kind of the 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 gunslinger, uh, <laughs> you know, strat jock. Um, but right, I, have, right. I haven't I haven't heard him really play straight ahead. I should check it out. Well, he hasn't never recorded anything. We've talked extensively about doing something. It's just the opportunity hasn't come yet. Right, right. He, he, he's still kind of fishing through. That's so. Every, anytime you see him playing a 55 bar, usually that's what he's going to try to use that place to 
curate that music. Right. And the bitter end is the place where he curate. I mean, bitter end. We're playing that room. He's playing for like twenty thousand people in that room. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm whacking the. I gotta whack the drums and like just play as solid as I can in there. Right. Uh, right. Because that guitar, it's a wall of sound. <sighs> Man, I can't imagine. Um, it's interesting what you said about how, like, you know, in New York, people want to hear you. And um, it, you know, it, it made me think of what you said earlier about how, um, you know, kind of one of the reasons you moved to New York is because you, you felt you had, like, this more individual voice that you wanted to explore and express. And New York is the place to do that. Um, and, it, you know, we've, we've talked uh, to a lot of New Yorkers on, on the podcast. And it's, it's a common theme about, you know, New York versus Nashville versus LA, New York, I think more than any other, uh, city, uh, not just in terms of music, but in terms of all the arts just really celebrates the individual. It celebrates the art and the expressive, uh, the art and the expression over the craft. You know, we always have this conversation about art versus craft and drumming and music, um, and how, you know, both are important, but I think New York, uh, definitely, like you said, historically has, has celebrated the art. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think it, it's great. It's a, it's great that there's a place like this. There's a place for the cookie cutting stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and, and producing, you know, the, the industry standard, but I think it's great because it's a good feeling when you're in a room in New York and you see like, you know, maybe you see someone who's a, a fine artist or some some crazy thing you've never thought of or or an engineer but oh i'm doing this thing that's never been done i'm trying to you know it's the energy is why people don't leave here they'll complain about how much this place sucks <laughs> but because of these moments right you can't leave yeah yeah if that's what your machine runs on like if that's what you crave out of your musical experience sure versus craft and you know expression versus um uh technique or whatever uh you know we, we've talked about all these creative gigs and all these sort of emotional gigs and uh but you've also done a ton of musicals um which is sure. uh you know a much more controlled environment i would i would argue a much more craft driven environment very little room for your personal expression uh unless you're kind of in on the ground floor from the from the conception of a musical um so what just tell us about you know some of the some of the shows you've played and and how um you know that that balance of art versus craft and expression versus technique um played into that for you well you know uh, opportunity uh, luck is opportunity meets preparation and um i had an opportunity where somebody the booking agent for america's got talent needed 
some percussionists. And that led me to them calling me back to play drums, not only for that season, the rest of the season, but then they asked me to be the guy to do drums for the next season and the season after that. But what happens in that world is I started meeting all the Broadway people. Mm -hmm. And, and, and mainly one guy I met actually on the first gig, because we both played percussion together, uh, was Andres yeah. Guerrero. Yeah. He, I did not know anything. Circling way back, we're going back to 2009, mm -hmm. 2008. I have a very good friend named Clayton Craddock. We've um, interviewed yeah, him. You interviewed him? Yeah, about a year ago, I think. Okay, well, that's 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 my my homeboy. We talk almost every day, and uh, I've known him for a long time. We've hung out uh, extensively, but I I was friends with the, uh, one of his best friends when he moved to Florida, a bass player. So he, he introduced me to Clayton, and then we we hit it off. The same energy type of uh, person. So he was doing a musical named Memphis at the time, mm -hmm. but I was just new in New York. He offered me the show. So I could have went into Broadway at that time, but I thought to myself, I'm dreaming at this time. I, I want to play with, you know, I want to try to see how far I can go in the jazz world. I want right. to see if I can play with these. If I go into this Broadway world, the amount of energy it takes to do it right, I might not be able to to attain the other, other goals. That's my thinking at the time. So fast forward, doing America's Got Talent now, and then I... I see that Andres is on the cover of um, a modern drummer, and I, I congratulate him. You know, I say, man, I'm, I'm happy for you. You know, congratulations. And he responds with, have you ever done a musical? <laughs> he <would just> say <laughs> I was like, uh, uh, what, what do you mean? Now, mind you, we've been, we've talked on and off throughout the years. But, you know, that time I hadn't talked. And he's like, come, come to my show. And, and let me know if this is something you... I said, yeah, I've done a ton of musicals. He said, no, 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 this is different. It's You know, it's funny like, you mentioned that exchange because, like, I've, I've interviewed Andres also and, um, you know, just huge talent, heart of gold, but uh, he just... He has no time to not talk seriously, you know? Like, there's no, there's no chit-chat. It's like, let's get to the serious shit right now. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. So... So he's like, come in. And he's like, uh, can you come in tomorrow? I was like, tomorrow? Oh, no, I can't come in tomorrow. So I was like, all right, let me figure out where I'm All right, I can come in three days from now. All right, well, come in. I, I went and spoke to him, and I'm like, I walk in, and I see all these white girls going, oh, my God. Like, what is this? What is going on? It's, now, mind you, I have no connection to this world. So I'm like, what is going on? Why is there a line around the corner? Hmm. What is this? You know, what is this Hamilton thing? Mm -hmm. You know, so... I go in there and um, I watch the show and, uh, and he's like, you know, if you want to be a sub on the show, uh, you know, and you're serious, you know, uh, uh, you know, you can, uh, it's yours. You can do it. So I said, sure, I'll do it. Uh, and he's like, all right, here's the music. And let me know when you're ready. Hmm. So I learned the music in about three weeks. I called him back. And I said, I'm ready. Uh, it took a little bit more time until he finally uh, called me like months and then he finally uh, uh, got me on the show, and then they they were super happy. Funny, the uh, the uh, conductor, he was like, "Holy crap, man!" He's like, "I've never heard of you coming to play the show like that the first hmm. time." Yeah, he's like, "You're not nervous?" I was like, "No, I don't get nervous. I get prepared." And he looked at me like, <laughs> "You know, you know what that is?" And here's something in the past that's helping me in the future. 
opportunity meets preparation in drum corps, you have to memorize things. Yeah. You have to memorize a lot of crap really mm -hmm. quickly. Yeah. When you play church gigs, you have to memorize a lot of crap. You're not reading charts. Although I'm a very good reader, these it's beneficial when you do Broadway to learn stuff. You know, I, I, any young Broadway person, uh, I, I, I um, always tell them, learn life first. Go do other things first because it's going to help you when you come back. If you try to do Broadway now, you might not have as much of a chance. So what happens is all, all my life experiences helped me be prepared for this moment where I did a good job and they were very happy. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they, they offered me the tour, blah, blah, blah. Then next thing you know, Clayton has a new show and Clayton's like, hey, you want to play the show? You know? And this was the first time he got a show again after Memphis closed. Right. I was like, man, I would love to. And I'm like, I didn't even know what the show was. He just told me, you know, he, then I learned that it was about the temptations and I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I, I can't wait. I play, I've been, so I, so I got to sub on Ain't Too Proud um, the day, it, the, like it opened and then in four weeks, that's when they allowed the first sub and I was the first sub. Hmm. Cool. For, so I, I've been with them at the beginning, not the beginning, beginning when they're on tour, but the beginning of their Broadway run. And it was a, a great year. Up, I think that was the last gig I played before the shutdown. Wow. Wow. So at like you, you sub for Andres, you sub for uh, Clayton. Um, have, have you, have you ever been, have you ever done a show where, where you were the full-time guy or, I mean, I know there are a ton of guys in New York who like almost have made a full-time job out of subbing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the hardest thing. I, and I tell people, Broadway is the hardest gig you can ever play as a drummer, especially. Mm -hmm. I mean, no, there's no name another place or another situation in the world where you play eight times a week. <laughs> now imagine Dis on tour Disneyland, <laughs> but that's yeah, right. That's, right? Yeah, yeah. I did that gig for four years, but you know, it's not yeah, that's true. Not unlike a musical, but you know, a, a two or three hour musical is a unique and and Herculean uh, task in in the music world. You know what the difference is, though? It is hard with Disney, especially with that humidity. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's the attention to detail. That's what makes it hard, too. Yep. You know, people are constantly on your, hey, man, measure 34. They're the hi-hat. Yeah, I missed it. I made a mistake. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's try not to make that mistake next time. And and you know, not every not every um, MD is that way, but the cult, that's the culture. Totally. So even the cool ones, they're like, you know you missed that, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. You know, it's just like there's this pressure. And you mentioned your classical training. Like I've I've I did a ton of classical training in college as well. And and even awesome. though most musicals um are, you know, uh pop music now, it's you know, they're they're most of them are based on some kind of pop music. The mentality of the theater of Broadway of musicals is I think a a classical mentality. It's a very schooled controlled not overly controlled but but uh precise very specific oh it's very and if you it's, miss it's very, it's very if you miss uh, one yeah, thing you're gonna hear about sometimes. it yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah so i uh before that also is i also my drum teacher uh the percussion teacher fred winstrom he when i was 14 15 uh, i failed to mention to you he recommended me to sub for new world symphony so I got a chance to play with Michael for Michael Tilson hmm. Thomas. I don't know if you know this orchestra, but this is a similar situation. I would go in, the music would be really difficult, 
and they would sight read it and then perform the concert. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> One rehearsal. Man. And it, and it was never normal music, man. Right. So I, I was very grateful for that. But it, it, in a sense, so in a Broadway, I, I, you know, here, let me see what I have here. I know that for people who are listening, they can't see, but I'm showing you here. Let me switch here. You know, when I go, I take a book and I don't just take the music. Let me find something here. I, you know, can you see the writing there? Yeah, yeah. I'm t- I'm, it's like a down to the detail of whoever's gig it is. I'm learning their fills. I play exactly. That's the best way to do it. Right. Because the whole idea is, and the biggest compliment you can get in a Broadway, as you heard from people, is they're like, hey, man, I didn't even know you were in. Right. Yeah. <laughs> for, for a sub, you know? So now, as you, as, as you know, I, I'm, I'm in a situation uh, where I'm, I will be able to have possibly if things go right, my, my own show. Mm-hmm. So that's exciting because I'm busy building the book. It's way easier yeah. <laughs> because you just, you, you study the music and you do, you know, what you think is right. And they all trust whatever you do. Right. Even when you make mistakes as the main guy, they really don't. Right. They, right. they, they trust you more. Yeah. And, and you play the show so many times you have such a rhythm totally yep it it almost like plays itself after a while and it's not that it's not that you kind of go to sleep and go on autopilot but like at the beginning of the show you're like you you press the go button and the ride starts and you're like all right here we go <laughs> right 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 so that's the uh those are the two differences that, that i'm seeing and you know what's helpful is as i'm building this new show uh the process helps you learn the show too Mm because you're not you know when i played hamilton when i played into proud you show up when i did american got talent you show up and you play the show like as if it was your four thousandth time Mm -hmm. it's your first time ever playing so you know what i do and what i recommend people to do is i simulate the booth i took a picture of andres's drums thank goodness clayton set up as basic as hell (laughs) it's like five piece drum set Two crashes and a ride. I'm like, yep. yep, I'm already there. Done. But Andres has this crazy setup. So what I did was I took a picture and I recreated his kit at home. I put the monitors where the the uh, his monitors are, and I simulated playing it. So when I went in there and played the show, I'm not. A, there's no audience. I'm in the I'm in a box. Right. So it was just like I was playing at home. Yeah. Yeah. It, the actors, everyone's so so consistent. Right, right. And it's amazing how, like, you know, the lengths you can go to um, to prepare yourself that way and to simulate. I mean, nothing, you know, nothing uh, really 100% can recreate the performance environment. Um, But, you know, taking the time and going to the effort to to put yourself through that before a gig, um, you know, like you said, just leads to so much confidence and no nerves, right? Like a friend of mine said – bass player buddy of mine he said there's you know there's the kind of confidence that comes from ego and there's the kind of confidence that comes from um you know compliments like people telling you oh that was great you know you're you're badass but there's nothing like the confidence that comes from just knowing you've done the work like there's yeah preparation there's no question you know it's absolutely it's absolutely true and some people misconstrue that they think that it's the other thing but uh 
it's uh it's the best uh form of confidence to have right and i think as young drummers we're told like uh, you know, we, we, we get it in our head that like, you've got to be able to do anything at any time perfectly. Um, which is, you know, kind of true in some situations. Um, but there are other situations like that one where it's like, no, take the time, take as much time as you need to, to just get prepared. Nobody expects you to walk into Hamilton and sight read it. Like (laughs) that's a gig that takes some preparation. So do it. And to be honest, not everyone is built to be versatile. Mm-hmm. Some people are just great at one thing and, you know, they should just embrace that. Right. You know, so, and everyone learns at a different speed too. And that's okay. Yep. You know, and, uh, I, I, uh, I, as you get older, you know, and you learn that these things are okay, that the whole, the whole, uh, reality changes, you know, that the whole perfection thing is not as, as, uh, serious as, as you, you think it was when you were younger. Right. You, you realize it doesn't really exist. <laughs> no, not at all. Even to the guys that, 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 that we've, uh, we've, uh, immortalized or, or treated like gods. Oh, he never makes a mistake. Oh, he makes mistakes all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. He oh, does. His time is perfect. If his time is perfect, he's not human. Right. Right. Um, you don't want perfect time. You want good groove. Yeah. Those are two different things. Definitely two different things. Um, well, man, I hope the, uh, I hope the musical, uh, I hope it goes soon. Um, I know we can't, we can't really talk about it and what it is and when it's going to, when it's going to happen, but I, I hope the best that it, uh, continues on a, <laughs> on a forward trajectory despite the, uh, uh, temporary sure. derailment. Yeah. And then maybe then we'll be back here talking about it. Yeah, that would be great. That would be great, man. Um, in the meantime, I hope, uh, I hope you stay sane. I hope you stay busy in your uh, in your studio there i hope everybody stays healthy and uh really thanks a lot for talking to me man no problem man. and same for you man i hope everything uh will be great with your family and you continue to be healthy One and busy th- yeah 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 we're we're putting stuff together there's there's teaching there's some church gigs there's some recording um you know i'm i'm staying i'm, I'm keeping it together over here <laughs> that's good that's good yeah that's all we can do yep indeed great talking to you man thanks a lot all right talk to you later thanks again to andrew i enjoyed getting to know him next week matthew kraus will be talking with la-based journalist robin flans who has interviewed many legends for modern drummer and is the author of a new book about jeff porcaro entitled it's about time that one should be super cool hope you check that out and until then stay safe and thanks for listening cheers cheers